This episode of Haunted Cosmos is brought to you by Right Response Ministries, Bible Discovery TV, Private Family Banking, Squirrely Joe's Coffee, and our supporters at Patreon.com. Did you know that patrons get early access to ad-free main episodes, as well as an exclusive weekly show, The Dusty Tome? Support the show today and get these benefits and more. And now, on with the show. Westmoreland, Pennsylvania, was a relatively quiet region for most of its history. A collection of small townships pepper the countryside. Good place to raise a family. Agrarian, rural, quiet. The locals were content with a simple way of life. However, all of this would change in the mid-1960s. In that time, something happened that was so weird, so swept under the rug, and yet so effective in inspiring public confusion and fear that it actually changed the little county forever forever putting it on the map of high strangeness for those who keep up with such things. But before I tell you about that event, I need to actually jump ahead and tell you about some of the things that happened in the years after it. In the early to mid-1970s, some years after this mysterious happening that I'm being very vague and mysterious about, the towns of Kecksburg, Sleepy Hollow, and Derry, all within the county line of Westmoreland, experienced what is perhaps the highest concentration of alleged Bigfoot encounters in such a small area and in such a short time, just 10 years. It got so bad that some of the townsfolk banded together to form an investigative body that would act as a data collection service. Anyone who encountered Bigfoot, single moms, couples on joyrides, police officers, anybody, could call into this group and give all the details. If it was credible enough and strange enough, they would even go on site to conduct an investigation, interview witnesses, and sometimes even perform psychological evaluations on the experiencers. What follows are a select few of the more prominent and important cases that were reported and investigated. The stories begin simply enough, with many people in 1970 calling in to report brief and one-off sightings of a massive, hairy beast running through a field or stalking around the forest line at the edge of their pasture. But quickly, things became a, a bit more complicated. In one case, Two friends were driving home after dark on the quiet country roads when they noticed a weird light off to the side of the road up ahead. It wasn't very bright, more of a subtle glow, but in the dark rural area, it stood out. As they got closer, still driving normally and not paying the strange light too much mind, they noticed the light start to jostle around and move erratically, still floating just off the side of the road. As they rounded a corner, the headlights of the car illuminated probably the last thing they expected to see. A massive Sasquatch sort of awkwardly sprinting towards the tree line of the forest reserve. If that isn't weird enough, just hang on for a second. It gets weirder. In its hand, the creature held what the friends described as a white glowing orb. As the car approached still closer, the strange creature picked up the pace and made it to the trees before they could notice any more details. They certainly were not about to go chasing after it into the dark forest. 
But the show wasn't quite over yet. Soon after the creature disappeared into the shadows, a striking beam of golden light fired into the sky from behind the trees. The women's eyes traced the path of the light up into the night, where it met with a strange red dot high in the sky. In another strange incident, this time in October of 1973, four separate groups totaling 15 people filed independent reports in the same night. These groups, all within the same area of Westmoreland, saw what they described as a large, building-sized ball in the sky. It was glowing bright red and hovering just 100 feet off the ground. Pulsing with light like that of a spinning lighthouse lamp, witnesses reported feeling a kind of morbid curiosity that was tinged with dread. Apart from the obvious weirdness of the scene, something else was wrong, something deeper. One of these groups of witnesses included George Kowalczyk and his two twin nephews. As the trio rode to Grandma and Grandpa's house in George's truck, they spotted this bright red object. After they arrived at George's parents' house, they all decided to drive down one of the dirt roads on the property to get a closer look. While all three went along, it's worth noting that one of the boys was petrified with fright. He didn't want to go, but he was more afraid of staying behind and missing the adventure. Eventually, they hopped out of the truck and went on foot across pastures and over fences to get a better look at the strange anomaly. But as they approached another fence line, they encountered far more than they expected. Creeping out of the dim red twilight were two things. They moved in single file, one in front of the other. The leader was a dark and lanky creature, hunched over at the upper spine, but clearly massive, with arms dangling down to its knees. The creature behind was much smaller, but similar in shape, almost like it was the child of the massive, grotesque nightmare that stood before them. And the behavior was strange too. The, the, the tall one would creep some distance forward before stopping to make a weird whistling noise, after which the smaller thing would creep up a short distance behind the leader, then stop and wait for the next call. Now remember, it was very dark out. The massive red orb was at this point almost the only source of light, enough to notice the silhouettes of these two creatures, but not enough to distinguish much other detail. George and the boys couldn't make out any of the finer characteristics of the things. In an effort to get some extra light then, George shouldered his rifle and started firing tracer rounds in the direction of the creatures. He later claimed that this was purely for the light of the tracers, but the idea that maybe the terrified man also wanted them to serve as warning shots doesn't seem too far-fetched to me. In the small amount of light provided by these shots, George saw the creature stop and turn to stare directly at him. At this point, the fear of the situation took hold of the more anxious nephew, and he actually sprinted the entire half mile back home, not even waiting for his brother and uncle back at the truck. The other twin, now noticeably less excited about the whole scene than he was before, begged his uncle to kill the monster. Pressured by the flight of the one nephew, and the terrified demands of the other, as well as his own fear, George fired three rounds, this time aiming directly at the larger of the two beasts. Judging by the sound of the impact and the flinching reaction of the thing, George was sure that each shot had landed on target. But that was it. No other effect seemed evident from the shots. The creature gave no cry. He didn't run away. He didn't fall to the ground. He just stood there, staring back at George with intense focus. At this point, George and the remaining nephew raced back home. They were grateful to find the other twin already back, though his condition was not good. He was wild with fear, almost manic. He would spend the next few years seeing a series of psychologists to get help with his constant nervous breakdowns. Strangely, his dreams were haunted with images of cities, 
cities that he knew, burning to the ground to the soundtrack of screams and sirens. Not long after the wild night with George and his nephews in the small town of Derry, Pennsylvania, a man claimed to have hit a Bigfoot with his car while traveling at high speed, fast enough to seriously damage the front end of his vehicle. As he looked down on the creature that he just slammed into, his flickering and dimmed headlights revealing the monster, the creature suddenly vanished. It didn't run away quickly. It didn't fall down dead. No, it vanished. Vanished into thin air like salt stirred into water. Around the same time, a fisherman in Sleepy Hollow recorded an encounter involving a lanky and gigantic monster with patches of mangy hair stalking him down a river. The fisherman ran for his car, but couldn't drive away before the Sasquatch stuck its head into the window, bellowing at the man. He honked his horn to distract the creature before speeding away. And of all the things to notice, the one most prominent feature the man couldn't forget was the utter lack of any smell on this otherwise disgusting thing. It smelled almost sterile, a smell void of character. But why was all of this supposedly happening in the first place? Why was there a team gathering these stories? Why would there even need to be? Was there some kind of catalyst for the sudden rise of these bizarre sightings in Pennsylvania? Well, glad you asked. The year was 1965. On a quiet December evening in Kecksburg, a strange and fiery object fell from the sky. People in six U.S. states and two Canadian provinces reported seeing the objects fall. Chalking it up to a bright meteor, everyone sort of moved on. But the people in Kecksburg didn't have that luxury because the object wasn't just sighted from their vantage point. It landed there. Reports of the first witnesses on the scene described the object not as a meteor, but as an acorn-shaped metallic craft with hieroglyph-style engravings around its perimeter. They said the object was also not simply static, but that it would pulse and glow with white light. Soon after finding the object, the National Guard, Army, Air Force, and other official-looking men in black suits driving black cars were seen coming in and out of the Kecksburg area. They would bring in flatbed trucks that were totally empty, and then they would leave with them full of something, something they were always very careful to cover. They allegedly paid local teenagers to stay away from the crash site and to tell their friends to stay away as well, spreading the rumor that nothing had happened, nothing weird, nothing was found, nothing had really fallen there. But the problem was, calls to local police began flooding in almost immediately, with many citizens talking about weird, unknown animals stalking their property and even peering into their homes. The police had no idea what to do, and thus, a local man named Stan Gordon formed the previously mentioned investigative body to help investigate this novel problem. Stan's group ranged from concerned resident to decorated scientist and everything in between. For many years, they documented these sightings and strange events, interviewed witnesses, and sought to connect the dots in a web of high strangeness encounters that had suddenly seemed to be woven throughout their small and sleepy community. One of the men who volunteered to gather and investigate the reports was named Barry Clark. Originally, he was not so convinced that anything of note was really going on, chalking it up to bad eyewitness testimony with a sprinkle of mass hysteria. As time wore on though, and the reports didn't stop, but rather increased in frequency without any sacrifice of consistency or conviction from the reporters, he decided something must be going on. One of his first cases came in the form of a very bright and new star appearing above a certain farm every night. The star would seem to change color as it lingered in the sky before glowing brighter and brighter red as it slowly descended to the earth. 
It would stop just before touching the ground. From there, it would eventually dim and rise back up before vanishing. Barry actually went to the farm and observed this phenomena himself, not relying on hearsay or secondhand reports. But as he watched the inexplicable object move towards the earth with its strange and growingly vibrant hue of red, he became so terrified that he actually fled the scene and resigned from the investigative team. Soon after these events, he was running an errand down a familiar country road. He'd made this trip dozens of times before he knew the route. He knew how long it would take, about 30 minutes or so. When he arrived at his destination, he suddenly realized he had forgotten the drive. Now, now we've, we've all been there. You, you get to a familiar place, and for some reason, you try to remember the drive you just took, only to find that you can't. Your mind wandered to some other situation. You were mulling over a problem, a conversation in your head, and you just sort of drove on autopilot to whatever destination you were heading. Only for Barry, he really couldn't remember, as in he didn't even know that he had been driving, if that makes sense. He just remembered getting in his car and heading to this place. Adding to the confusion was the time it took him to get there. See, without this detail, he probably would have just chalked it up to that autopilot thing that we all knew. But, but again, remember, he knew this 30-minute route. He knew how long it took. He'd done this drive many times before. So why had multiple hours passed since he left his home? He realized he was missing hours of time with absolutely no recollection of what happened. Where had it gone? What happened to him in that blank stretch of mental fog? In the year of our Lord, 2021, deep in the loamy and damp forests of the Olympic Peninsula of Washington State, a team of Bigfoot researchers, part of a TV show called Expedition Bigfoot, were tracking what they thought might be a large animal down a river. One of the team members, a primatologist named Maria Mayer, was perplexed. She was very skeptical of the whole Bigfoot research scene, but she was more than willing to join the study for what was now their third expedition. After all, maybe there was some large and undocumented primate haunting the woodlands of North America. Given the strange activity she'd experienced over the previous two expeditions, and even in the past days of this third one, she was finally feeling confident that they may be hot on the heels of the elusive primate still waiting to be discovered. And so, with growing hope and excitement, she kept a sharp eye on the ridgeline that loomed over them on the opposite bank of this river. Her partner on this trip, a man named Ronnie LeBlanc, was a little different. Where Maria's bent is towards the skeptical and empiric, Ronnie leaned into his intuition and a deep well of belief that these creatures do exist. He's what you might call a true believer in this whole Bigfoot phenomenon. The physical, the spiritual, he's there for all of it, and he thinks it's all true. Together, they form an interesting pair, finding some kind of middle road between their wildly differing dispositions, a meeting point of healthy skepticism and the zeal of unshakable conviction. As they traced the winding river, that ridge on the opposite bank grew more and more sheer, eventually morphing into a cliff of eroded dirt some 20 or 30 feet high. Coinciding with this change in the landscape, the daylight began to give way to a clear night with a bright moon. And it's around this point where things took a turn. Whether for good or bad, you'd have to ask them now that they've had time to think about it a little bit more. As they walk, they begin to hear rocks falling off of that cliff across from them. And they come across what looks to be like a, a fish trap fashioned from sticks in a calmer part of the creek. 
Maria swears she saw some sort of animal eye shine a couple of times as she glanced up at the thickly wooded clifftop. So she grabbed a thermal camera and the whole team paused to see if something would happen. Well, something did happen, but it wasn't something on the thermal camera and it wasn't something up on the top of the cliff. With all eyes fixed, some 30 feet up in the air, someone thought they heard something in the creek, something that didn't fit with the normal white noise of flowing water. They quickly turned their light on and brought the camera down to catch what is one of the most shocking clips of film we've ever seen. It appears clearly, by the way, not fuzzy, that the shadow of a bipedal creature was walking in the water. And as the light uncovers it, it quickly vanishes into thin air. It's honestly a surreal and sobering piece of footage, clear as day, assuming everything is authentic, which we know is an assumption, but at least go there with us for a moment. There is what looks like a shadow person caught in the clear light of the camera walking towards them and then dissolving until it's invisible. What is all of this? Is there really something to the Sasquatch phenomenon? Or is it all a bunch of hoaxing and feverish imagination? And another question, yes, the Bigfoot phenomenon is often categorized neatly in the bucket of the natural world, an elusive animal that's currently unknown to science. But is it that clean? Or is it that simple? In this episode of Haunted Cosmos, we'll try our best to shake your assumptions and see what happens when you ask, what if Bigfoot isn't an animal at all? Well, welcome back to Haunted Cosmos, listeners. We are glad that you're joining us here for part two of our initial sweep of this Bigfoot phenomena. Yes, it is. Yes. It is a dream to be here. Ben, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing just fine. It's fine and dandy because over there. We're here, just two schmucks talking about Bigfoot, having a good old time. Look, just a couple of bros doing bro stuff. Yeah, we're just guys being dudes. Just guys being dudes. It is, and you know what we're not though? We are not, we are bipedal. We are bipedal. But we are not ha- very, well, we're kind of hairy, but not as hairy as a Bigfoot. I just want it to be on record that I'm hairier than you. Mm. There's only yeah, one way you, to find you out. actually are. You actually, <laughs> well, now this this show is on YouTube. If you didn't know that, yeah. go sub Haunted yeah, Cosmos go check it out on, on YouTube. YouTube, and you can see us in 4K, um, which we all know you ben really and I, want. In front of three lights, um, kind I, of like vaguely silhouetted, we look good. I have what you call a face for radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have a good voice. Mm-hmm. I have a voice for podcasting and a face also. Same. For when I lean back, there's a little belly that shows, <laughs> like my abs. That are very strong. Right. And right. it's it's you know, sometimes I look back and I regret adding video, but we have it. So <laughs> so go check it out. Make sure that you are um subscribed on on Patreon, support the show. Smash guys. the like, smash, smash that subscribe button, smash hit the bell that so you don't hit, so you don't miss any don't new miss videos. any new things. Um because we got the dusty tome every week coming yep, out, yep, which yep. is just for patrons. We've got Bigfoot mugs, we've got all kinds, which maybe you won't want after this episode. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Like I never. It's true. I think my initial design. I don't know if this actually st- st- stood by the time this episode comes out. Was it said never trust a nephilim? 
Yeah, which was pretty funny. But anyway, we're, we're glad that you're here for uh, part two of our, just this is an initial 30,000 foot view of the Bigfoot phenomenon. We're probably going to talk about this. I mean, I'm assuming many more times, Lord willing. Yeah, I mean, it, you could do at least one episode a season. Yeah. Deep dive on just some specific event. The or PGF. <laughs> Dude, we got to get the PGF. Someday. You could do we a keep whole talking season on the PGF. It, last uh, episode, episode three of season two, we talked of the, about the Bigfoot phenomena from a very specific angle, and that angle is essentially just limiting the Bigfoot phenomena to the question of what is the best physical evidence or evidence that Bigfoot is real and he is just an animal. Right. That he's just an undiscovered, previously unknown species of primate or, or something, and that he's just somehow eluded capture out in the British Columbia woods or, you know, in the Himalayas or... Uh, in in uh, Florida, Skunk nice. Ape. Way to go pronouncing it. Himalaya. Thank you for noticing it's that. Himalaya. That's yeah, really I know. It's actually obnoxious. You know, it's, like, it's like when people say, I'm going to Paris. Well, earlier in the cold open, you read the word details, and I was ready for you to say details. Details. And, and I, I was going to be annoyed. It's so funny that I actually noticed that I said it wrong when I said it. <laughs> anyway. I'm glad you said details. Anyway, this episode is much more interesting in my opinion. 100%. Way more I'm so excited for this episode because <laughs> yeah. in this episode, we're, we're, we're asking the simple question. Yeah. What if there's something more to all of this? What if? Namely, something supernatural. What if Bigfoot is a demon? He's a spirit entity. <laughs> That's right, actually. What if? You know what? Let's not jump the gun. We don't even... Let's yeah. not say, oh, Bigfoot's a demon. Okay. Let's just say I think I literally said that in the last episode. But go ahead. <laughs> well, let's you know. Hopefully what? not that voice. We recant. Yeah. No. No. No you're one remembers. Right, you're right. Uh, and then and yeah, we're just asking like, okay, well, what if he is a spirit entity? Some kind of. What if there's some inter? What if there's some non-physical element? Yes. Yes. And, and he's like, okay, first of all, what if it's real? <laughs> right. And he's not just, just an animal. We're making the assumption that it's real. We're just we're listen, just we're if making. You don't, the, if you don't believe in Bigfoot in the year 2023. Then you have your head. You need to touch grass. <laughs> okay, bro. Touch your, he grass. your head is in the sand. You touch, need to touch grass. Grass. Don't be like. Don't be one of those modern people that they watch too much TV and they don't get on the internet enough. Like if it's if you're so a true. good modern person, you yeah. know that Bigfoot is real. It's like people often say the baby boomers they watch too much TV and mm -hmm. not enough internet. Yeah, and, so and the Zoomers literally don't know what TV is. Right. They're like, do you mean? streaming they have like netflix they have like youtube on the tv while they're also mm -hmm. watching a different youtube video on their phone on their phone with an air and their computer is like on instagram <laughs> while they're tweeting unhinged <laughs> right-wing conspiracies you love know what it. and listen those are our people yeah we love you for it <laughs> welcome you are welcome here you are this is a safe place this is your place for you well in this episode guys we're not going to be neatly packing away bigfoot like ben said into just we're not really trying to diagnose what kind of spiritual thing it is necessarily yet yeah i might like throw out some ideas because yeah, i just can't help myself but why not we're not going to get too in depth about it but we're just going to look at some parallels that these bigfoot narratives have with other types of high strangeness with spiritual overtones yep um things that in season 1 we've we pointed at a lot and said like hey these are harbingers yes. or or markers of often demonic activity or some sort of spiritual activity. What, yeah. Let's list some of those things out a little bit. Well, yeah, if this is your first episode, if you're joining us, first of all, welcome. Welcome. And secondly, I, I would refer you back to episodes uh, two and three, season mm -hmm. one, on the Mothman. 
Yeah. Those themes are going to be heavy here. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, episode 10, the, the last episode of season one, Evangelistic Alien. Yeah. Because we really dial in and, and funnel down on what type of things might indicate to you mm-hmm. that this is uh, that there's something more going on here than just physical. Something yeah. like an overwhelming sense of dread. Yep. Uh, telepathy is yeah. always a big one where you think that there's either you think something is in your head yeah. or you actually hear voices you in hear your head. hear it speaking to you mentally. Even even the smell thing from the cold yep. open where there was the a complete lack of smell yep. or uh, it, it, in other it stories, it's, it's the hugely like oppressive. Sulfuric. Yeah, sulfuric like smell. smell. It just smells horrible. Mm-hmm. Those are the type of things that, that you should be having in mind as we go through these stories. And I mean, today's episode is really story heavy. Yes, it is. It's not as much commentary because remember, we're not really trying to categorize yet, mm-hmm. at least. We're just trying to get people thinking in terms of like, well, yeah, what if there's something spiritual? Yeah. What if there's something supernatural going on? So if you have those stories and those episodes from season one in mind, as you listen to today's episode, I think that you'll actually be pretty <clears throat> compelled by the idea that there is something supernatural yeah. going on here. Yeah, you're going to see connections with shadow people. You're mm-hmm. going to see connections with um, prescience, with psychic phenomena, with UFO activity. And how these things aren't so cleanly categorized in terms of the evidence. Yes. When you start to look at the the witness evidence, especially, um, and just what people over and over say that they're experiencing and seeing, unless they're all lying or all mistaken, these things genuinely are associated with some other phenomena that makes me think that there is a deeper conspiracy going on. Okay. A deeper spiritual conspiracy going on with all of this high strangeness phenomena. Um, and that fun, I'm literally giving like my meta thesis. I was going to say, like, right now. don't stop. <laughs> and that literally what is happening is that in high strangeness situations, whether you're talking about cryptids or ghosts or um, UFOs or many of these other things, that at least a significant portion of it can be explained by malevolent spiritual entities wearing different masks. Yes. Different uniforms. Different uniforms. Same company that they're working for. Participating in the same play, working for the same team in different realms or different aspects I like that. of the world. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, that said. <laughs> I, want, I want to unpack a few yeah. things from the cold open. Yeah. Kind of given that brief, you know, brief introduction. Uh, but I think it's the necessary, it's really all the necessary groundwork we have to lay. Yeah. I... This reminds me, the whole Kecksburg thing, mm-hmm. the Westmoreland County stuff, reminds me so much of the Mothman yeah. events because it's it's this really concentrated time. Mm-hmm. It's a timeline of high uh, a high frequency of events all around the same theme of Bigfoot slash mm-hmm. also UFO stuff, mm-hmm. kind of like how Mothman was. Mothman, UFO, Intercold, Intercold, Native American lore. Yeah, there, there's orbs involved in, in these as well. Yeah. Um, but in this case, it's a little bit different because the Mothman was this high concentration of events mm-hmm. leading up to the Silver Bridge collapse. Yep. And then it kind of trickled off from there. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is different. It's this big event, this flame in the sky that apparently, you know, people in six states and two Canadian provinces yeah, saw. Big. And it is documented. They they did see that. Yeah. And then from that event, you get all these things. And now it's kind of died off too. So it just mm-hmm. makes you wonder what has what changed? Yeah. Why was it so concentrated and then it stopped? Mm-hmm. Um, people will like to chalk something like this up to mass hysteria. Yeah, mania. Which is the most unsatisfying thing <laughs> yeah. in the world. It in really the world. is. But yeah, I mean, I, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on it. 
Like, mm-hmm. how do you think this relates to the Mothman or what kind of lessons can we take away yeah. from something like this? Again, I almost preempted you a little bit because mm-hmm. a lot of what I think this tends to show is that when you have uh, weird, unnatural, high strangeness events, a lot of the time they're like grapes and they come in clusters. Um, and and they're not all the same sort of experience. Where, you know, think about a mania situation where the story is we saw a craft come down from the sky. It was witnessed in a lot of places, but it crashed here. Immediate government intervention. Mm-hmm. The, the, the everybody from the FBI to the National Guard is showing up. Men in black are there, you know, shooing people away, coming up with, plausible stories for what really happened or just and, denying anything happened. Yeah. An acorn shaped <laughs> craft with hieroglyphs on the side of it. Like an episode of ancient aliens has crashed in Kecksburg before ancient aliens even existed, which, so there's time travel. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, so then think about this. What kind of story, if you want to get in on that, if you're like, I'm going to get in on this mania yeah. and I'm going to tell, I want some attention, which people do want to, people yeah. make stuff up all the time. People on meth make stuff up. Yep. People on on alcohol. People think it's cool to do alcohol. People on nothing. Yeah. And then people on they life. just want attention. <laughs> and they make up stories. People in the comments, by the way, in our uh, Apple podcast reviews, they're always like all the one star reviews say like cringe internet lingo. I'm not sorry. I, I would like to take you. this opportunity to say to to not apologize. Yeah. And I, also announce that I will be becoming worse after careful consideration we have decided decided to become to become worse (laughs) anyway if you want to get in on that what kind of story are you going to go to the newspaper are you going to tell you're going to tell an alien oh i saw light i'm not going to tell a bigfoot story you're not going to say i ran into a bigfoot right you're not going to say i saw a, a large mangy fur animal creature running through the woods with an orb in his hand right you're not oh i hit a i hit a big ape person yeah. and then they dissolved into thin air yeah you're not going to do that you will tell a related story i mean right. it, at least unless you're playing 4d chess so, so to me i think you see that some of these things are obviously hoaxed and fake and made up and whatever, and people do just want to get in on it. But but I think there's an element of um, clustering that happens yes. with these things that show that they're not isolated, they're not hermetically sealed off from each other. These are related phenomena. Yeah, people people lie, mm-hmm. but people don't only lie. People don't only lie. That, that's not what. That's not the only thing people do. And so you yeah you really do have to approach this with a lens of uh, skepticism. At first, but then also giving people the benefit of the doubt. Like, examine the fruit of the community. Mm-hmm. This isn't a community full of meth heads. No, it's like a farming. This is a farming thing. community where people are just raising a family. Yeah, probably one of those communities that would w- that would err on the side of natural skepticism towards something like this. Like Barry Clark, the guy mm-hmm. in the cold open. Yeah, where he thought all of this was nonsense, and then he goes and actually experiences something himself. Yeah, and he's terrified for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And so I I just want to point out that like this is sort of an event that's a catch-all. Like, you have everything in this. You have the shadow people where the Bigfoot vanishes after it's hit by a yep. car. Of course, you have the UFO connection. That's an easy one. Yep. That's what started the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have this uh, almost like a Skinwalker Ranch type immortality from the Bigfoot that was shot three yep. times by the guy. Yeah. It, it reminds me of the wolf uh, that the Shermans the fired at. Yep. Yeah, the, the dire wolf. 
for sure. Actually, just literally, it was a skinwalker. Just the immortal skinwalker. It was a demon skinwalker. It was a demon skinwalker. Let's Um, be honest. But one of the things that struck me researching for this episode was actually the orb. Mm -hmm. uh, The Bigfoot that was carrying the white orb that the two women saw. And it made me think of all of those uh, relief carvings in in the ancient Near East Mm -hmm. where these like Babylonian or Sumerian gods are holding out this like bag Mm -hmm. that's glowing. Have you seen these uh, Instagram reels about this? It's super, it, it's really fascinating. You manage the Haunted Cosmos Instagram, which means the algorithm is trained on a particular. <laughs> no, this is my own Instagram. <laughs> this is you. This is me. <laughs> this is, it's really fascinating. I have not seen this, no. A, a, lot, of the, a lot of these engravings of the uh, of the mythical kind of gods, like uh, I'm blanking all, all on The all gods the bringing the knowledge to man kind of thing? Yeah, well, both. It's like mm-hmm. the stories of them bringing the knowledge, but then also if they're ruling here. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Babylonian gods that would rule the seven kings or whatever. Like Marduk? Yeah, like Mark, thank okay. you. Like yeah, Marduk yeah. before the big flood. Uh-huh. And he's holding out like this glowing bag of something. Huh. And, it, and it's not just in Mesopotamia or Babylon. Yeah. It's like all over the place. It's hmm. in Egypt as well. And so the idea of, you know, the two ancient aliens folks that's been on Joe Rogan's podcast yeah. is that these are like their batteries or their... Uh, are you talking like, is this Graham Hancock stuff or something different? I think Graham Hancock has brought it up some, but uh-huh. I, I didn't hear it from him. I heard okay. it from other people. Like this sounds megalithic. less hinged than Graham Hancock. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it, it, it is just strange that you always have it there. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that there was even something on Gobekli Tepe mm-hmm. that was akin to this. And so people seem to think that it's supposed to be glowing. I don't know uh-huh. how I don't know how they get that idea. That's just the impression that people are like, oh yeah, it's supposed to be glowing. But that it's some kind of power source mm-hmm. or some other means of asserting authority. And really the only connection I'm trying to make is asking like why are there orbs? In so many supernatural occurrences, it's so weird. a common through thread in all of it, like haunted mm-hmm. houses, demon possession, all of it is there's glowing orbs. Yeah, there, there's even, you know, Skinwalker Ranch in Utah, and then jump over to Arizona and Bradshaw Ranch, which is a, we were just talking about a related lunch, area of, of weirdness <laughs> with government involvement. And there's a guy who seems really reliable there, and he's a Jeep, he does Jeep tours, like hundreds of them in this area. Nice. It's a beautiful area. And he, he was driving one day out in these back roads, and um, all of a sudden, a green, glowing emerald um, basketball sized orb comes up comes towards him and then just follows him for a while before reverting back down. And then this area was also an area with weird government involvement. And literally, they did it on the show. If you try to fly a drone there past a certain threshold, the drone will turn around and say, restricted airspace, returning home. Wow, my government training actually, uh, because of my government training, I can tell you that that means the government doesn't want a drone to fly there. That's what that means. There's a guy on the show it's a that I got this inside from. joke. <laughs> he's a CIA agent, and he's always saying like, "My CIA training teaches me," and this is like anybody can figure out <laughs> with the most rudimentary logic. CIA trained goldfish are orange. This is another element of this. This is totally unrelated, but there's an element where I do think that we, we've said before, aliens are demons and things like that. But it's not that simple, too. In some cases, there's also government involvement. I think there's. Um, tech, technology that is not always out in the open. Yeah. Um, I think there are... I'm not going to get as unhinged as I was just about to get. But I think that there are certain government-related... Um, what's the word? Government-related 
deceptions that are also taking place surrounding some of these things. Okay, yeah. So I want to put a note there because I'm not convinced that some of the even Bigfoot stuff can also be explained through deception. Yeah, yeah. Well, we and I mean human deception. Have you have you ever looked at the uh, the Montauk monster? Mm-mm. So you know, do you know the Montauk project? How do you spell that? M O N T A U K. Monster. Okay. Do you know how to spell monster? <laughs> it's just normal. No, I don't. Okay. M-A-W-N-S-T-R. <laughs> I know how to spell monster. Monster. Okay, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so have you heard of the Montauk Project? That's a... No, I okay, have Okay, okay, So the Montauk Project was the, uh, was the inspiration for Stranger Things. Okay. And I was watching this. It's kind of unrelated to this. It's just the same name. Mm-hmm. I was watching the show Conspiracy Theories with Jesse Ventura one time. Mm-hmm. And he went to... Uh, this place to find the Montauk monster, Montauk Island off the yeah. coast of New York, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it's this really weird looking thing. They've said that it's, a, that it's a hoax, but there's been like newspaper reports from, you know, earlier in the 1990s or something mm-hmm. like that of people seeing weird cryptids or chimeras around the area. Yeah. And it really does make you wonder if if sometimes there is some kind of hybrid program that Whoa. the government's putting on. Like, we know that they'll kidnap your children and, and put them through things because they did the Montauk Project. Where yeah. They were trying to learn, remu- like, remote viewing and psychic skills from Christ- or Christians, from children. Yeah. That's my fault. And um, and so who's to say that, that they wouldn't stoop to another level of depravity where they're actually doing experimentation yeah. on the children of their citizens mm-hmm. to try and create hybrid species. We know that the Japanese did this in World War II with like Unit 37, or I think that's the right name. Yeah. And that was, you know, they were testing on their enemies at the time. Right. But it's a short step from there to just test on CRISPR. your own citizenry. Yeah, Cri- CRISPR, CRISPR is, is g- genetic m- genome modification. Yeah. W- genetic manipulation to try and uh, essentially take charge of evolution and things like this. Right. This is, we, we actually know that this is happening. We know people it's, do this. It's just a matter of, is our government so explicitly involved in doing it to where, they, to where they'd actually harvest people and try and turn them into like hybrid chimeras of some sort? That is so crazy. <laughs> but what the craziest part of it is that when I hear it, I'm like, probably why, why not? I mean, I mean, I know the other stuff they do. Yeah, yeah. And why not? Like, they, they lie to us about everything. Literally every. I mean, they lie about stuff that you just, like, they're just practicing for other lies. Right. They don't even need to lie about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we even saw that in 2019 through 2021. Like, their ability to create black flag events and false flag yeah. events to try and distract people from yes. larger narratives. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> we should probably continue in our outline since it is long enough to be four to six hours. And we're on page, not even halfway through. We're on page eight of ten, eight of twenty-three. The other thing that I want to point out, just from the cold open, is uh, again connecting to the Mothman stuff. That Point Pleasant had a history of kind of supernatural pagan lore going on with the curse of Chief Cornstalk, still the best name. Uh, yeah. in history itself. Yeah, right. And so I was asking like, well, did anything else weird happen in the Westmoreland County area of Pennsylvania? Mm-hmm. And I found this from Westmoreland's Wikipedia page. It says, quote, in December 1892, Pittsburgh area newspapers reported on an investigation by three to 10 men of so-called supernatural phenomena that had allegedly been occurring at an old stone farmhouse in Kecksburg for some weeks past. The Pittsburgh Post reported that several of the investigators had been removed from a bedroom where the demonstrations by the ghost had been occurring and they were removed in an unconscious condition, adding that the spirits made no trouble 
for the occupants until the previous fall, when work to remodel the building resulted in the demonstrations that were now the talk of the countryside. According to a Post reporter, the alleged ghost was said to have been that of the farmer's owner, David Randler, who had been driven off the farm by the area sheriff after the farm was foreclosed on and sold during the financial panic of 1857. Even though Randler only still owed a small amount on his mortgage after having spent roughly 20 years paying it off, he was forced to leave. And in doing this, he was forced into poverty. So Randler ended up homeless, destitute, and alone because his fiance had also died around the same time. And so he swore he would haunt the man or woman who tried to alter the condition of things on the farm if he died before he got it back. The incidents in question involved hammerings all over the frame of the bed of the subsequent owner of the farmhouse, William Newell, tearing of the bed clothing, and the violent ejectment of anyone who attempted to sleep in that particular bed or room that was allegedly haunted, end quote. Mm. So it's this idea of a guy who's jaded, who's been maybe legitimately, maybe illegitimately wronged. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of lays a curse on this land. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to take this too far at all. Yeah. I don't think that he actually cursed this place and caused the the UFOs and the big feet <laughs> to start roaming around. But it's just the idea that you're getting into a level of depravity where a supernatural force seeking to deceive other people could latch onto something that's happened right. and say like, well, these people, their pumps are primed. Let's jump on that opportunity. Right. It's like, uh, you know, if you are using a false identity, you come up with a cover story. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm in this profession and I do this. And I think the the spiritual deception some often has the same thing. It's like, oh yeah, I'm native. I'm there's in this native American lore. That's totally true. And I'm going to now pretend like yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to manifest for you what the Native American lore said. And often because they they actually had spiritual demonic encounters, I believe. But then, you know, later they might latch onto that and modernize it and dovetail it with a new phenomenon like aliens or Bigfoot or Bigfoot's not necessarily new. But, you know, other strangeness phenomena for, to continue the deception into new generations, new cultures, new peoples. Brian, studies done throughout the U.S. show that almost one in five churchgoers, that's 20% of churchgoers, never read their Bible. It's very sad. And in Canada, it's even more than half. It's no wonder the world is in such a dark place as it is. But our sponsor for today's show, Bible Discovery, wants to fix that and fill a void. From apologetics and theology to archaeology and science, Bible Discovery is a family-run ministry that takes you through the entire Bible in one year and encourages you to actively engage God's Word in all ways to help you discover, or perhaps rediscover, the reason for your faith. So you can watch the daily TV show or read the monthly guide, which is available in print and digital formats with a donation of any amount. So journey through the Bible at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. That's BibleDiscoveryTV.com for all these benefits, or check the link in the description. Our sponsor, Private Family Banking Partners, is on a mission to help Christians live out the Dominion mandate by making a stealth-like move away from the mainstream banks and into their own privatized banking system. This innovative system is designed to guarantee uninterrupted compound interest and tax-free growth without exposure to typical stock market risks. To join this growing community that is already building wealth unto future generations and converting post-mill talk into post-mill action, contact Private Family Banking Partner Chuck Delateranti at his email chuck at privatefamilybanking.com. That's chuck 
at privatefamilybanking.com. To set up an appointment and to receive a free copy of Chuck's new book, Protect Your Money Now, How to Build Multi-Generational Wealth Outside of Wall Street and Avoid the Coming Banking Meltdown, go to the links in the show notes below. Classic. Yeah, and one of the kind of offshoots of all this is that if something like this happens and people fall for it, then it lends a lot of credibility to those pagan religions. Mm -hmm. Even if they don't fully buy into it or even realize that it's happening, their mind is being trained to think, oh, the Native Americans were really onto something. Yep, and then then if, yeah, yeah, pluralism or syncretism. And then you get into like, well, they also believed there were eight genders. And and oh, of course. You get all this trickle down stuff. It's like this lazy, intellectually lazy default pluralism of modern Western thought where we're like, oh yeah, we respect the Native culture. And so- like, oh, they're spiritual stuff. Like, Astonishing Legends, they're always doing this. They'll be like, oh, of course, the natives, they know a ton of stuff. We got to be real sensitive about, right. like, respecting their 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 ancient knowledge and things like that. I'm like, first of all, they don't even have a written language most yeah. of the time. So it's all orally passed down. But second, what that kind of thinking is doing is it's training you to syncretize and, and, and live in this pluralistic uh, mode where you're like, oh, there's lots of little twinkles of truth Right in in the whole vast array of stars of different religions. Yeah, and you're like, well, what if though? On the other hand, they're all dumb. Right, and there's one in right Christ one. is Lord. Right. What if on the other hand? What if on the other hand, God is who He says He is? Yeah. And all these people got it way. And there are lots of deceptions out there trying to get you to believe anything but that one thing. Right. And there's a lot of corruptions of the one thing because they all came from the same family mm. after the flood. It all makes sense. Mm. Okay, so moving on. I do want to briefly mention the Expedition Bigfoot thing mm-hmm. with the shadow person on camera. Yeah. You know the clip that I'm talking about. I've been I've been I've been thinking about it nonstop for years now. I've been haunted cosmos by that clip mm-hmm. for um, for quite a long time because it really is crazy. Like, it was pre HC. It was pre HC. Mm-hmm. You have to look this up. It was season three, I think, episode three. Or it could have been season, you know, season three, episode three. I literally can't remember it all. I do remember because I put it in the outline. Ah. You have to look this up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and they like go over it in this meadow or something in Washington State to review the footage. It is so insane. Mm-hmm. It's so insane. My wife and I, when we first watched it uh, on TV, we were, we, I mean, we paused it. We were freaking out. Mm-hmm. It's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. But it, it kind of comes back to, again, this trope of shadow people being mm-hmm. connected for some reason, to the Bigfoot phenomena. If it was just a purely physical thing, then why are there so many UFO connections and why are there shadow people connections, mm-hmm. orbs? We'll find out later in the show, telepathy is a big mm-hmm. theme with Bigfoot encounters. Yep. And I just, I, I have a hard time seeing how to fit all those pieces together if yeah. it's not something supernatural. Either it's all made up mm-hmm. or it's something supernatural. Yeah, this would have had to have just been hoaxed. Yeah, and by I, the show creators, and I don't know how they. I, I mean, yeah, because the scenario it's kind of hard to picture, maybe based on the the description. But there's the river, yeah, and then there's a dirt cliff thirty feet higher, so that comes up out of one side. They're on the other side of the river. I'm watching the clip right now on YouTube while I describe this. <laughs> Doctor Maria Mayer is going down with Ronnie, right? And they're in the water. They're kind of like on the edge of the river, looking for this thing up at the top. Yep. And then all of a sudden, they turn the camera light on, and the cameras are filming towards the bank. Towards the cliff. Yep. And with thermal cameras and everything and normal cameras, they turn this big bright light on and it, it all of a sudden on the cliff, on the dirt cliff, you see the shadow 
very clearly of an upright bipedal Bigfoot looking thing. Seriously, it looks like a Bigfoot. Yeah. That is walking patty style. And then it just fades and disappears. And it's as if between the light source and the cliff, there's a Bigfoot there casting this shadow. That's what it looks See, like. It, it even looks to me, though, like it's not like the shadow isn't on the cliff projected. It, mm. When I saw it, it looked like we it interpreted was, it differently. Yeah, I know. That is interesting. Hmm. Give us your. Uh, Go look it, at it. Yeah. Do give we us y'all's conviction in the comments. But do we have it in the show notes? We'll put it in the show notes. Okay. But uh, but the idea, hmm. like, I looked at it and thought, oh, that is a cor- like a, some kind of semi corporeal shadow that's actually in the water, not mm-hmm. projected onto the cliff face. So that is interesting that we mm. that we interpreted it differently. I'll, I'll watch it again at some point when I can actually listen to. Yeah. And um, I just I yeah. you got to hear the reaction. either way. That's what it's it's like a. It's clearly some sort of weird, super weird, not normal physical phenomenon. And it dissolves kind of from the ground up. Like, almost. yeah, like it disappears. It's not at once. It's no, not no, like no. something that goes away and disappears. It does. It fades. Yeah. Really weird. And and they can't figure it out. And Dr. Maria Mayer is like a primatologist or whatever. And she's she's like, I, I have no idea what that was. But that whole aspect. I can't explain that. Yeah. It, I mean, it is crazy to hear her say that because she's pretty sober minded, it seems. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Do you remember the thermal thing they found? <laughs> she was actually too? on Expedition Bigfoot. Maybe she, she was on a right. show called Expedition Bigfoot. <laughs> but anyway, she was the token skeptic on the show. What was the thermal thing? Where the, uh, they were out in the field, and so they see this oh, yeah. big thermal bipedal thing out in the field. This is more physical evidence, I suppose. But then um, they go later. They recreate the footage with a like a six foot two guy. A it big looks guy. way smaller. Yeah. And it's not a bear. That's the only thing that I could think of is it could be a bear, but it, it does not look like a bear at all. I mean, it, it would have to be like a polar bear standing upright. They like had the it biggest analyzed. bear in the world. Yeah, they had it analyzed by uh, experts with thermal, and they were like, well, that's weird. Yeah. Pretty much. Like, <sighs> Just that's a squatch. So that's a squatch. So anyway, the Expedition Bigfoot thing, it's really one of the weirdest things to me. It's what um, cemented, um, it, like really cemented for me in my Bigfoot journey. <laughs> the idea that this was more than just a physical phenomenon, that if it existed at all, it wasn't just a physical it phenomenon. Did, it did that for me too. And, mm-hmm. and the the scripture that I always come back to with that is in the scriptures, it does this in the Psalms, is when it talks about the, the Rephaim. In the Hebrew, the word is Rephaim. And then it's oftentimes translated as shades or shadows. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's Probably, you know, if, if I'm being the most responsible I can, it's like a euphemism for an undead spirit or a, a, a dead spirit uh, dwelling in Sheol or something like that. But it is just interesting how it does use that word and how the best translation we can come up with for it to get this to get the full sense of the word is mm-hmm. a shade. But that kind of sent me down the rabbit hole. The shadow people connection to Bigfoot sent me down this rabbit hole. And I found a website called Big, BigfootResearchOrganization.net. BFRO.net. We actually mentioned BFRO last week. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they collect reports from all across the country and they just compile them. And they'll Mm -hmm. give some conclusion on it if they need to go investigate. But the Expedition Bookfoot thing reminded me of a report that I read from theirs. And it was a sighting of a 13-year-old girl uh, sometime in 1970, and it was in Lake Shasta in California. And so I'm going to just read that report to you here. The girl says, quote, I was on a family trip. I was 13 at the time, and I had never heard of Bigfoot. The way our camp was laid out was that all of us girls, two sisters, their friends, and a friend of mine, were all staying in one big army tent. 
My brother and his friend were in a smaller tent off to the east, closer to the drop off to the lake, than my parents were in their own tent at the far west end of the campsite. There had been a lot of trouble with bears that summer, so all the campers were advised to hang their food up high in the trees. My dad did that, and I remember him standing under the bag of food a good three feet over his head, about 10 to 15 feet from the door to my tent. My dad was five foot 10, so it was pretty high up. As for myself, I actually wanted to see a bear. I was a really outdoorsy kid and would have probably preferred to sleep outside of the tent. I had little fear of the dark or the night. I'm quite sure we were there for two weeks that year, and as I remember it, my sighting occurred about a week into the trip. I know this because afterwards I spent several days looking for traces of what I had seen. I slept closest to the door of my tent, and somewhere during the middle of the night, I heard a little stirring outside. Everyone was asleep, and I didn't wake anyone up, since I had already been informed emphatically that no one else wanted to see a bear, so I very quietly and carefully crawled to the door of the tent and cautiously stuck my head out. I looked over to where the food bag was hanging and saw something that was definitely not a bear. What I saw was two dark, hairy creatures just standing there under the food bag like they were negotiating how to get it down or something. One of them was a good foot taller than the other. My dad would have come up to the bottom of the chest of the biggest one. They were huge. The smaller one was probably just a head taller than my dad. I had that as a gauge after all, since I had seen my dad standing there in the same spot under the bag a little bit earlier. They were tall, and they were standing upright. At the time, I had never heard of Bigfoot, but I knew these were not bears. Bears are pear-shaped, and standing upright isn't a common or comfortable thing for them. For that matter, they don't just stand next to each other like they're carrying on a conversation. Everything took place very quickly. It was fast, but I was very impressed and sure of what I had seen, and I was sure that it was something extraordinary. What happened was that as I saw them, I did one of those surprised intakes of breath, a true gasp, I guess you could say. They both heard it and turned to look at me. Then they turned and looked at each other, looked back at me again, and then they were just gone. They had not made a sound. One moment they were there, and the next moment they were not. I didn't go out of the tent. I did think about it, but I laid awake all that night thinking about it. I had absolutely no idea what I had seen. This is similar actually to another Lake Shasta story that doesn't have an explicit Bigfoot sighting, but it does keep linking some of these things together. And this is Case Report 2007, uh, 2770 from that same website. This is an old report, so I don't know if it will be of any use, but my wife and I remember it as if it were yesterday. We had just moved to California from Colorado and didn't know anywhere to hike, so we drove to a ranger station in Shasta Lake. We bought a map, and although it was the 4th of July weekend, we asked the rangers if there was any place we could go that would be isolated or not too crowded. We got a fire permit because we were planning to four-wheel somewhere remote and then hike to a camp area. We were told to drive on a logging road next to Squaw Creek and were shown some turns to take to end up past the last campground on Squaw Creek. We drove until we spotted a stream leading up to a meadow about 200 yards from the road. We crossed a deep creek with our camping gear and helped our dog cross because the water was swift enough to make swimming across difficult. We set up our tent and decided to follow the creek to see if the fishing might be any good. We were surprised by an abandoned beaver dam and the pond was full of fish. I wanted to hike a bit further and my wife wanted to finish some reading so she went back to camp with the dog. I continued hiking until I heard something following me. When I stopped, it stopped. I suspected I was being followed by a cougar, so I made lots of noise by stepping on branches 
and acting like I wasn't afraid of anything. I still stopped from time to time to look toward the area of the noise and had my knife ready along with a big stick that I purposely hit against rocks and trees to make myself appear aggressive. Finally, I got back to camp and my wife asked me what was going on. I didn't want to scare her, so I said it was getting dark and had to get some firewood. She said the dog had been growling and looking in the direction from which I had come. I still didn't say anything, mainly because I wasn't afraid because I had packed a gun with plenty of ammo. I had been hunting in the woods all my life. I figured a fire would keep the lion away and along with our talking and laughing, plus we had a big husky dog that was a good protector. When I got back to camp with some wood, my wife informed me that the dog must have taken a poop around the campsite because it stunk. It did smell, but I was unable to find anything to get rid of. We lit a fire and cooked, then settled back to let the fire burn out. When the fire got low, we were terrified by the sound of breaking branches in a sound unlike anything I'd ever heard in my life. I screamed to my wife to throw more wood on the fire and rushed to the tent to get my gun. I was bowled over first by my wife, then the dog. I got the gun and yelled to my wife to get the flashlights. We threw more wood on the fire and heard something retreat. At this point, I got my composure back and we shined our very bright lights into the woods, hoping to pick out a pair of eyes. When I didn't see any, I was alarmed because I thought all animal eyes glowed in the dark as they reflected the light. I was thinking that there must be a man out there trying to scare us. So I yelled for whoever was out there to identify himself because I had a gun and was prepared to shoot if I heard another noise. Now I had to tell my wife what had happened on my hike and what I still assume is correct about animals' eyes. We talked about going back to the Bronco and leaving, but decided it was too risky to walk 200 yards through the woods and then have to cross the stream in the dark where we could easily step in a hole and lose the gun or be at a big disadvantage. We decided to burn a big fire all night and stay awake. As frightened as we were, I talked my wife into getting some sleep on my lap and I would stay awake. She fell asleep and then so did I. We were startled awake by the dog growling and something rushing towards us through the trees. We threw more wood on the fire and screamed into the woods that we were ready to shoot. Again, a retreat as the fire got bigger. Now we were definitely awake for the rest of the night. The next morning we packed up and left. When we got down to the stream, I remembered my axe, shovel, and saw were still at the camp, so I went back for them. I was greeted by a horrible smell, but that was it, so I grabbed my things and ran down the hill. When I got close to the stream, I slowed down and started walking. My wife informed me that right after I left, the dog was growling and looking in the direction that I had taken. Since this incident, we now camp in designated campsites that have other campers. We always used a four-wheel or hike to places to camp that were completely isolated. We never considered Bigfoot until I told my story to a new friend, and he mentioned that the situation was similar to Bigfoot-related incidents. Again, remember this theme of the unseen nature mm -hmm. or the disappearing nature of the Bigfoot, and it reminds me of, of one more story that, that we should tell, and this is a story from the book, The Psychic Sasquatch and Their UFO Connection. Just a totally normal book title. Right. That anyone could find himself or herself reading Ordinary. on any given Saturday afternoon lounging in the living room. You go to your normal coffee shop, okay, and you sit at the, and you sit at the little table. Mm. This is going to be on the coffee table. Two out of three people are going to be reading a book similar to The Psychic Sasquatch and Their UFO Connection. Exactly. So I'm going to briefly mention the let's, story let's here. It. You've probably heard it. I mean, everyone's read this book. Uh, this is actually a book that we're going to dig a little bit more into, but we have to tell this story first. It goes like this. In the, in the fall of 1981, a family living on a small farm in the Midwest, whose names and places are withheld for privacy reasons, started to notice their livestock behaving nervously. 
Eventually, they noticed that the apples were being taken from the trees in the front yard at an alarming rate each night, leaving virtually none for the family. Things escalated when they found that a whole section of barbed wire fence had been ripped out of the ground, posts and all, and completely mangled to make way for some big creature to pass through unimpeded. Most skeptics wrote the whole ordeal off as the work of a very persistent and tough bear, but the family felt there was more to it than that. Finally, one day, a member of the family looked out the window of the house in the direction of the barn. Just at the threshold between the light of the day and the shadow cast inside the structure, they saw a six and a half foot tall, insanely bulky ape man thing. The family was horrified by the sight and would suffer yet more fear at the hands of this entity. At night, uncanny growling noises would be heard outside, keeping the family awake. And if the children were ever able to fall asleep, they would be plagued by uncharacteristically frequent and brutal nightmares of some big hairy monster attacking them. As they began to tell these things to relatives and neighbors, the immediate reaction was one of skepticism, as you might expect. In an attempt to help them see the error of their paranoia, an 18-year-old nephew of the family came to explore the farm one day. He would soon regret this as he rounded the corner of the barn to see an enormous Sasquatch standing tranquilly in the middle of the field in the clear light of the day, just staring up into the sky, unaware of anything going on around it. The teen grabbed a shotgun and ran back to the barn, aiming at the creature. However, he was out of range of the thing, so he fired a warning shot into the air, causing the Sasquatch to leap in the sudden shock of the noise and chase the boy down towards the house. But as the boy turned to make his last stand and blast the monster to kingdom come, there was nothing there. Though he had heard the footsteps just moments before, the creature was now vanished. As time wore on, the events started to take an even more sinister flavor. The four-year-old son would wake his mother in the middle of the night, saying that a man in his room had just been speaking to him. As the nervous mom ran to the room and confirmed that there was no one in there, nor any windows open, she put her son back to bed. As any good parent would do, she then did a sweep of the rest of the house just to be safe. And each time this happened, and it was multiple times, she always dreaded checking the family room. She knew what she would find when she peeked around the corner of the wall. A glowing white, basketball-sized orb floating around the room. She went on record saying, quote, It appeared to be a controlled intelligence recognizing me as I entered the room. It was terrifying. End quote. These events led to severe depression for the woman, and she began to fear a total breakdown. But just as suddenly as everything begun, all the encounters abruptly stopped. That's one of the creepiest things. Dude, you're yawning I so just yawned and after hearing the craziest Bigfoot story. <laughs> you're like, next, please. Next. <laughs> no, no, that's wild. What I love about these, these stories, or what I think is so interesting about them, is the, the way that they, they so blend together the normal Bigfoot animal element with elements that all of a sudden put this twist where it's like, there's no way that that could just be an animal. Exactly. The vanishing. I mean, even think about it, the being chased by that thing. It's one thing to think like an animal could veer off suddenly and hide, but the circumstances of that story, it seems more like the wolf in Skinwalker Ranch where they yeah. tracked it and they they had the footprints and then all of a sudden, impossibly, it was just gone. Same with the cattle, the cattle yeah. on Skinwalker that were just, they were gone. Yeah. No blood, no nothing, just vanished. Thousand pound cattle. I mean, we're talking about 
almost a supernatural, possibly a supernatural ability. Yeah. To just dematerialize. And with that kid in particular, like he's an 18 year old. He's mm-hmm. not like a little tiny kid. He's right. an 18 year old. He hears the footsteps right behind him. He's like, this is it. Blaze of glory turns around and there's nothing there. And this is the Midwest. Okay. This isn't exactly uh, the, the highly wooded area of like the, the pine barrens in mm-hmm. New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. This is a relatively flat land. Yeah. Pretty big sky open. It would be hard for an animal, like even a cheetah or a peregrine falcon, like the fastest things in the world, mm-hmm. to veer off and or find of, some hiding place. One of my children, when I say, what is in your mouth? <laughs> or, <laughs> boom, they're just, pretty supernatural. they're gone. <laughs> you know what? Actually, never mind. It's not supernatural. I've seen my toddler do some crazy feats <laughs> to I, hide. When I say, okay, son, let's go inside and eat dinner. And he thinks, gone. I'm going to ride my bike across the country. I'm going to ride my bike <laughs> to New York City and catch a barge to Europe. I will That's, do the Lance Armstrong feat, but clean. No doping. Clean. No dope <laughs> under the age of four. And yeah, all this goes back to the to the cold open, which is just, if it's purely natural, if it's there at all, then why is there a shadowy, disappearing, vanishing aspect to it at all? That's a wrinkle that you can't reconcile with the physical world. Unless, mm. unless, yeah. uh-huh. And this is where you get into the connection with, especially episode 10 of season Hang one. On. Okay. What on. what message would that give you if mm-hmm. it's purely physical? It's that there's some kind of physical way to transcend the, norm, the normal categories of physicality and achieve some higher plane of existence. That's right. So really the message that we're getting mm-hmm. from this Bigfoot phenomena, if people are, are buying into it while maintaining an atheistic mindset, materialistic mindset, is the same as what the aliens are bringing to us. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what we talked about last season, is that they're saying, no, actually, you're right. It is just materialism. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more to it. Jesus was one of us. Yeah, He just was able to achieve a nirvana, that's a right. higher plane of existence. This Gnostic escaping of the plane of the physical yes. into the, the more pure, better range uh, plane of the spiritual, uh, and these sorts of superior beings— are basically flaunting at that point the the their ability to access interdimensionality, things like that. Yeah. So so what we're seeing there potentially is a deception aimed at underlining that aim for people to give into almost like a, a technological um, technological posthumanist. Uh, what, what's the word? Um, Techno transhumanist postmillennialism. Let's just make sure. It's transhumanist. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> transhumanist is this idea that we can, it, through technology or, you know, l- leveraging our scientific understanding of the universe, we can essentially transcend our mere humanness and um, essentially hybridize ourselves with machines or other apparatus in order to yeah. achieve some new state of human, of being human. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, these are all just very ancient ideas. Yeah, it's that sci-fi trope of, you know, uploading your consciousness to a computer it's immortality. The, yeah, yeah. It's, it's freezing yourself mm-hmm. so you can be woken up someday when they've discovered the cure mm-hmm. to whatever it is that you had. What's interesting, too, is the, the ideas that we're discussing this episode are, are ideas that Bigfoot researchers are, are currently entertaining. Right. That, that's ultimately where we're getting at, is the conclusion of this episode is that the people who have really made a life out of this, yeah. out of the Bigfoot research thing, all of them pretty much agree, like, 
Yeah, maybe we wouldn't describe it as supernatural, mm-hmm. but this is not as simple as right. an undiscovered primate. They have no problem using language like interdimensional. Interdimensional, yeah. Um, even well, you you have a category of like Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum. He's the missing link, evolutionary, gigantopithecus, missing primate, hominid, something like that. But you do have a growing number of researchers who are saying. The evidence isn't all hoaxed, but it also doesn't support a mere physical exactly. conclusion or hypothesis. And so they've started to, in non-Christian ways, yes, unfortunately, but they've started to entertain and in this fact, concept. Some of these researchers that are that are that have bought into that, they do claim that they can summon Bigfoot encounters, that they mm-hmm. can have these encounters at will. Or maybe they don't make the terms of the encounter, but they know the steps to follow. Yeah. It's like a ritual. It's almost like like a Native American. And they're summoning it. Yeah, they're, they're summoning the thing. They're following the rules to get there. And we can directly connect that to someone like Steve Greer, who we mentioned in mm-hmm. episode 10 of season one. He's the guy who believes that the UFOs are just interdimensional beings. Yeah. And he's figured out a way to summon them. And how did he do it? Well, it's by this like meditation. Yeah. And reaching out his mind into the universe. Like the giant hippie. Exactly. Skinwalker. Right. It's it's telepathy, it's psychic ability, mm-hmm. and somehow they're all still cloaking it under this materialistic evolutionary worldview. Yes. Where they're telling man that we just have to transcend. Yeah. And a lot of it comes back to this like exotic physics sort of explanations. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, it's it's string theory or it's quantum physics or it's some exotic physics where they, they start to speak in really quasi-spiritual tones. And then they give these exotic physics names to stuff, these phenomena and these hypotheses of how it's really all physical. But what they're doing at the end of the day is just magic. Yeah. <laughs> it's just magic. Right. It's magic from people who have advanced math degrees. Yeah, a lot of it. It's, it's just, just pure magic. Necromancy with a lab coat on. Yeah, they're like, oh, this is this is uh yeah, we're not we're not talking about demons. Right. We're talking about hyperdimensional beings who are able to transcend the astral plane using the we third to, eye of your DMT accessed. <laughs> We have to learn from them. Yeah. The government made DMT illegal because they knew that we'd be too powerful. They knew we'd be too powerful. <laughs> Stop doing drugs, kids. Just Stop don't it. Do it. Stop doing drugs and talking to the machine elves. We'll get there. But then kind of the, the last big connection that we want to make in this episode, and this is going to begin our conclusion section, mm-hmm. is just like how Steve Greer has an overwhelmingly positive view of the UFO phenomena. Uh-huh. Where he thinks they're interdimensional and he is like, yes, we should learn from They're benevolent. Them. They're benevolent. Yeah. They want to give us gifts. Kind of the the one-to-one comparison in the Bigfoot world is this guy, Jack Lapsaritis. Mm-hmm. And he's actually the author of that very well-known, very vanilla book, The Psychic Sasquatch and Their UFO Connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this guy's not a Christian. Mm-hmm. Much like Steve Greer, he believes in the supernatural, but he is absolutely not a Christian. Mm-hmm. He may not even use that word necessarily. Yeah. He believes that Sasquatch is the hero of the story. Mm-hmm. And our goal is to show you that he's mistaken. Yeah. That he he's actually right in some of his uh in, in some of his methodology and some of his conclusions, mm-hmm. but he's wrong in what it all means. Yeah. He's he's right in his findings, but he's wrong in his conclusions. Yeah. Maybe a better way to actually phrase that. Yeah. But he spent over 40 years researching Bigfoot. He he really knows his stuff ultimately. And he actually started all of this with the idea that Bigfoot was just an undiscovered primate yeah. and nothing more. And as time wore on, his view kind of evolved. Mm-hmm. So with all that said, mm-hmm. I want to share some more of the stories from this book. Yeah. It's a really fascinating book. And, and then we can kind of draw some conclusions from that. 
I think it's important too to note, Ben, that he changed some of the details in the stories. Yeah. Personal details so that because apparently there's this weird thing that happens if you share stories of Bigfoot encounters regularly, is that people think you're weird. Think you're crazy. If you yeah. if you read mm-hmm. the psychic Sasquatch and their UFO connection and you just bring it up yeah. unironically at in like normal a, conversation a dinner party, people uh, are like People might side eye you. People are like, "Is Ben okay?" And if you contributed to that book, <laughs> that's right. It doesn't help. <laughs> but some of these stories are going to underline some of these connections and the ways that he drew these conclusions. Yeah. And what I really want you to do is, as you listen to this story, especially this one, think about how you might react mm-hmm. if something similar happened to you, versus how some of the people in these stories are reacting yeah. to these very strange things. So. There was an elderly woman, and we're going to call her Mrs. Jones. She and her husband had this interesting deal. You see, she was an outdoorsy person. He was not. They lived in Milwaukee together, but Mrs. Jones often longed for the rural feel of forest outside of the city lights. So to that end, Mr. Jones, her husband, every summer would drive her the seven hours or so to their summer cabin in the country and he would just leave her there. That is so weird. <laughs> For five or six. I can't imagine. I can't doing imagine that. doing this with my wife. Being like, see ya, honey. Good luck. But like old, I mean, this was in in the 70s. Like yeah. old people at that time, they they were weird, man. They were just a different breed. They, their marriages were so strange. Well, they walked along the Oregon Trail to get to their homes. They rode triceratops. Yeah, it was Into crazy. battle. So anyway. This is a weird deal, okay, but we can just gloss over that. For whatever reason, it worked for them. And she actually looked forward to this time away from the city all year. So in the summer of 1977, something started happening at this cabin getaway that Mrs. Jones didn't understand. As she sat on the front porch of this country oasis and read a book, she noticed the book start to feel lighter and lighter until it was just floating in front of her. She wasn't even holding it anymore. No trick of the wind, no prank. I mean, no one even lived nearby. She was just sitting on the porch with a floating book in front of her. And then the book flew across the porch, startling the woman. She wasn't expecting that. But the fear of this was quickly quenched when a soothing and kind voice started to speak to her in her head. Mm-mm. Nope. Was, yeah. Nope. Big red flag. Nope. Big red flag. That is when you call your husband, people. <laughs> That's right. You That's give him a when, call. You say, come get me. Why would you stay? Why did you leave me here so- in the first place? <laughs> it was Don't listen. Kind of, so it was like a telepathic message from a thing that, you know, according to it, meant her no harm at all. And the book thing was just it having a little bit of fun. So it actually was a prank, a supernatural Yeah, it was a prank. prank. She looked out over the field as this is happening, and about 50 feet away, she saw whatever it was that must be speaking to her in her mind. She could only see it from the waist up due to the curve of the hill, but it was a very, I mean, it was clearly a very large and hairy ape man. And it was smiling at her. Unbelievable. With a wide and warm grin. I'm out. Injured cold, anyone? I immediately begin. So anyway, I started blasting. So That's the next (laughs) sentence. And then I had a heart attack. Yeah. And all of this began a series of summers and all of them included relatively frequent telepathic conversations and other visitations from this creature. She kept going back? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, multiple times. And this all kept happening. A creature that... in, in what, Where's Mr. Jones? And this creature, like what she could see of this creature, in every physical way, it resembled the Sasquatch. Okay, yeah. It resembled a Bigfoot. And these rendezvous, were they were always exclusively telepathic. No word was okay. ever spoken. So it, was, it speaks English. 
Well, yeah. Telepathically. Yeah, exactly. What if it was like Spanish? Okay. <laughs> it was as if the creature had some innate ability to enter the mind of a person, mm -hmm. read their thought, and then give thoughts to them and converse mm -hmm. with them in this way. Steadily, as the intelligent and kind creature continued its stay in her mind. Allegedly. Right. Mrs. Allegedly J intelligent. And right. Kind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> the self professed yeah, intelligent yeah. and kind. Mrs. Jones began to think of the creature as a friend. So it started to win her over. Even Mrs. Jones even worried about it being okay out there in the wild, thinking like, oh, you should come stay in the warmth of the cabin. This is why you, you need a man. Right. I mount this creature over my fireplace. Or I walk. Or, or, or I die trying. <laughs> right. So even from here, the relationship evolved. They considered each other friends, and yet the relationship continued to evolve such that Mrs. Jones began to think of this Sasquatch as her protector mm -hmm. while she's out in the countryside. Mm -hmm. So one day, a neighbor friend from a few miles down the road dropped off a copy of the local paper for Mrs. Jones. She'd asked for it a couple days before. The neighbor finally made her way up there. And on the front page, she noticed a story about some other households in the area being broken into. And nobody had been caught. Perhaps it was a desire not to think about a threat uh, so close to where she was, or something else, but for whatever reason, Mrs. Jones didn't think much of this, and she just kind of tossed the paper away, didn't get that much from it. But a few nights later, due to some uncharacteristic insomnia in Mrs. Jones, she sat on the back porch at 2 a.m. with a cigarette while looking at the stars. What a time to be alive. What a time. Out of the corner of her eye, she noticed the glow of what looked like another cigarette poking out from behind the shed. She looked over and saw for a split second the silhouette of a man being pulled back behind the shed by another set of arms. She stood up, quickly but quietly, and shuffled inside. She shut off all the lights in the house. She ran to the bedroom. She grabbed a 22 pistol from its hiding place beneath a loose floorboard. And so feeling a bit safer, she went to investigate the house, sweeping the house, making her way to the living room and front door, making sure no one was inside. But as she got to the front door, her heart sank. She could already see the shadows of two men standing on the front porch. They were backlit by those bright stars that she had been admiring just moments before. The door handle began to jostle. Luckily, she had locked it. Not everyone around here locked their doors. She was glad she did that. She crouched behind the couch in the corner of the room and waited for what she thought would be the moment that she would be forced to try and take two lives. But before anything else could happen, a scream came out of one of the men. With a terrified urgency, the two men sprinted off the porch far down the dirt road, and they never came back. Mrs. Jones poked her head out of the doorway, fighting the urge to come back inside due to a horrible stench that had filled the air and looked around. She caught sight of a bulking and tall shadow walking back into the dark tree line. According to her, the Sasquatch found her on the porch the next morning and gave her the following message. I was here last night. I told you I would be here whenever you needed me. I could feel the fear at a distance. I came immediately. Those men were bad. As I said, I'm always here, always around. I always know your thoughts. God bless you. <laughs> After this, Mrs. Jones began to see lights above and within and around the trees that were near her. They would hover back and forth in meadows just above the top branches before eventually leaving, disappearing into the night sky. She actually asked some neighbors about this particular thing. She figured that everyone could see this, wondering if anyone else was had any thoughts on these insanely bright light shows at mm -hmm. night. And her neighbor friend, 
The one who had hiked up to check on her with the paper answered with a horrified look on her face. She said that her husband had seen the lights and heard a howling noise, and so he went to investigate with his flashlight one night. But she watched him run back to their porch just a few moments later, his face flushed white, and he refused to ever tell her anything that he had seen. Okay. This is the craziest thing, dude. I take it all back. <laughs> Some big feet are angels. <laughs> oh, what if? I'm just saying, God bless you at the end. Yeah, but what if it was but what if that's all part of it, dude? It could be. I'm not listen, I don't want anybody on Twitter being like Brian believes that some angels appear in the form of Bigfoot. <laughs> I don't I do not want Although, that. If someone tweeted that, it would be funny. I'm not Please saying I'm, I'm not saying you should do it. I'm just saying it would be funny. If you do, do you know what the reform pub will do? <laughs> Aneurysm. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. What an ultimate like own though that would be. Yeah. She's supposed to be like this good old Christian woman. Uh-huh. And so the Bigfoot approaches her in ways that she can relate to. Or like maybe it is like a guardian this angel. This is just thing. weird. That is a weird story. It's so bizarre to me. The lights, the again, the supernatural element, the telepathy, the the levitating of the book, the I mean, what? The thing that I don't like is the telepathy. What I, if she was reading? Okay, hang on first. <laughs> What if she was reading a Jesus Calling devotional? Oh. The Bigfoot levitates it, throws it across the room. Well, then I would say, like... R.C. Sproul book levitates in. <laughs> I'd be like, <laughs> Bigfoot we're, Angel confirmed. just any other book. <laughs> yeah, dude, just literally <laughs> the UFO book. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean... The, the Sasquatch. The I mean... T- psychic Sasquatch. Wow. Anyway, continue. No, I, I just... Uh, so I get a clear injured cold parallel. I mean, there's, Absolutely. there's the, the smile... smile. There's the telepathic communication, God the message you. that we're here not to harm you. You know, it's really uh, it's really a textbook UFO encounter almost, like a textbook alien encounter. But what I'm trying to think about is the thing that gets me is the telepathy. Mm-hmm. Like, because that seems so intrusive. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if there's any examples in scripture apart from like a dream mm-hmm. type situation or a vision uh, where an angel communicates <clears throat> telepathically with someone and gives them good information. And I really don't know. I mean, you have like Ezekiel being taken up uh, and he can feel his hair being pulled. And yet he also says that he's in a vision. Mm-hmm. So it's this weird mix of like the, the spiritual and the physical world that's happening. You could say that something similar probably happened to Philip the deacon after he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. Mm-hmm. Maybe something similar with St. John and his revelation. But I can't think of anything where it's like, and then you hear a voice in your head. Hi there, faithful listener. If you've been enjoying the Haunted Cosmos podcast and you'd like to see Ben and I live, then come and meet us in person at the Right Response Ministries Conference happening March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. The title of the conference is Blueprints for Christendom 2.0, Seven Doctrines for Ruling the World. Some of our other speakers include Doug Wilson, Joe Boot, and the host of the conference, our friend, Joel Webin. Yes, the whole conference is going to be really awesome. But the best part to me is that Brian and I will be on stage with Joel talking about the most unhinged things imaginable. Plus, by coming to the conference, it'll give us a chance to meet each of you in person. You can register for the conference by going to rightresponseconference.com. Again, that's rightresponseconference.com. And don't forget to use the promo code HAUNTED to get 20% off of registration exclusively for our listeners. Lastly, if you're looking for another fantastic podcast, you got to check out Joel's podcast called Theology Applied. 
It's on Apple and Spotify, but you can also watch Theology Applied by searching Right Response Ministries on YouTube. Check the links in the description. Brian, you know how sometimes you wake up in the morning? Uh, yeah, hopefully everybody does that. Sure, maybe. But do you ever feel tired when you wake up? Well, yeah, Ben, I used to all the time, but then I I started drinking this new drink. Uh, It's actually called coffee, and it helps you wake up. No way. There's a drink that does that? Man, I should give it a shot. You definitely need to try this. And when you do, you should buy your coffee from Squirrely Joe's Coffee. They're a thoroughly Christian company who sends you a great coffee at an affordable price, Plus, they even donate some of their proceeds to Operation Underground Railroad, helping the effort to end child trafficking. Okay, wait, I actually have heard of Squirrely Joe's Coffee, and they are really great. They make it super easy to order exactly what you want. If you go to www.squirrelyjoes.com, that's www.squirrelyjoes.com, and click Shop Coffee. And first-time buyers can sign up to receive 20% off of their first order, just go to www.squirrelyjoes.com or use the link in the description below. Squirrely Joe's Coffee. Share coffee, serve humbly, live faithfully. But well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how the mechanics worked out for all those guys. The thing that's, <laughs> that is concerning about it is that the, the one repeatedly that the scriptures say knows your thoughts, everyone, is God. Yeah. And it's like God knows your thoughts before Psalm 139, before you even speak a word. Right. He, he knew what you were going to. He altogether knows your thoughts, every turning of your mind. Right. So then you have this um, often the demonic is a counterfeit of the, the signs and wonders mm-hmm. that only God can, can truly do righteously. And so it is interesting that telepathy would be the thought knowing would be an element of a lot of these UFO stories, a lot of these Bigfoot stories. I haven't really developed that thought, but it just came to mind as you were describing that. Because there, because there's that is a, honestly, I didn't even consider that, but it is like really interesting, especially in this specific story. Yeah. yeah. But the you still have a UFO connection thing. You mm-hmm. still have lights in the sky, and then almost every other supernatural encounter that I've heard with like mantis men or like injured cold, for example, when there's telepathy, it's like always bad. Or even the Mothman would mm-hmm. give like telepathic thoughts to that guy Lawrence Gray, who had like the sleep paralysis episode. Yeah, and so I just, I just don't know. I don't know. I, I have a hard time. With, I have a hard time with that aspect in this whole story in general. So, sometimes in these stories, I think it's okay in in high strangeness in general to just say, actually, I don't know what yeah. that is. If it's true or not, I don't know. And if it's true, what it completely is to the bottom, I don't know. Speaking to your, I point, just don't understand on the. Uh, on the knowing thoughts, though, mm-hmm. one thing that is important to note is that the Bigfoot didn't claim to know all of her thoughts from the beginning. It just had the ability to to converse with her mm-hmm. telepathically. It was only later that he started to say, like, I sensed the fear from far away. You know, uh-huh. I, I like it does seem like he started to learn things about her or know things about her that would be impossible to know. Mm-hmm. But she opened herself to it. Right. Like there is a level of invitation there. Mm-hmm. Um, she started to let her guard down, all those kinds of things. I just don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's. I think one thing it does show is the importance of guarding your mind and your thoughts from um, and not being spiritually open. Yeah. We're not really supposed to be spiritually open. Right, right. We're, we're supposed to be um, – 
con- convinced in faith of the truth of God's word, right, and stand on it, and you know have your mind clamped on it and meditating on it and filled with 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 truth, not open to any spiritual experience or or open to the you know. Oh, maybe maybe there's a good Bigfoot out there that I could right. talk with. Right, right, right. No. You should not try. Don't that. do it. Yeah, you're supposed to have your heart, so that your spiritual life and your mind, your physical life, opened only in so far as that they close firmly mm-hmm. on the truth of God's word, and they are no longer open to anything else. Mm-hmm. This story did make me think of one of the craziest ideas that that I've ever had the pleasure of coming up with, though. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not saying anything definitive. I do not believe that this is true. I just want to get that out of the way. But just what if? Uh-huh. Like, what if one of the roles that God gave to his angelic ministers mm-hmm. in the beginning was the role of overseeing the natural uh, the natural world, like rivers, seas, trees, gardens, stuff like that? We see this uh, played out in Tolkien's Aino Lindale and in his History of Middle Earth, where mm-hmm. the Valar and the Maiar are governors mm-hmm. over the mechanics of the world. Yeah. So they're making sure the sun rises, for example. Like literally one of them is the sun. I'm not saying that the sun is just an angel, although. But, <laughs> the, <laughs> but the idea is that if that's true, um, then they almost act as like sentries that are guarding the world from natural disasters or uh, supernatural intrusion into things like that. And the reason that it got me thinking is because all through history and mythology, we have people uh, talking about water spirits, yeah, you know, river daughters, will of the wisps, um, nymphs, you know, like wood mm-hmm. spirits, fae, yeah, fae, things like fairies, things like that, that that are more elemental, yeah. uh, more physical in, in their elemental nature, where they're they're latched onto a thing or a place, mm-hmm. and it does make me wonder. A, like, is there anything to that at all? And, and Hob- I don't know. Gob- hobgoblins, puckwudgies. Yeah, puckwudgies. Uh, big feet. It's all, I mean, modern or skin, like it's all. You you could put all that under an umbrella that that would help to categorize There's a little taxonomy it. of this folklore. Right, exactly. Folklore. And we don't know, but if that is the case, then it's not really outside the realm of possibility that some of those angels also fell. And so not all of them would be fallen, some would be fallen. And so it's almost like this, this battlefield that really is right there on the fringe of the supernatural and the natural. Because it's a supernatural species of governors that are overseeing the natural world. It's not like the dominions in the angelic hierarchy that are overseeing the rest of the angels. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's this thing that's like the mechanics are so directly affecting the natural world mm-hmm. that, I don't know, like what if that is a category of spiritual being? I don't know. While the medi- <laughs> the medievals would be totally vibing with you right now, <laughs> yeah. they would be <laughs> the, like Bavink and you know who else would be Burkhoff would just be like no Burkhoff would be shaking his head. He'd be he'd, he'd be facepalm. He'd be like what ba- is Bavink would be like I don't know man maybe he'd be like what is what are you doing dude Bavink had so much love for Pseudo Dionysius of uh, uh, the guy who wrote the the celestial he was, he was he was an enjoyer he was an enjoyer yeah King James mm-hmm. would be would be interested in this view. The Puritans yeah. would be interested in this view. You just have to like understand that different dynamics or um, different frameworks of understanding the natural world and phenomena that humans experience in the world um, often get explained in, or we build different frameworks to explain those experiences through the light of our knowledge. So today people build sciency frameworks yeah. to explain everything. And um, we do that to a fault 
Yes. Like literally like to a fault. We do that. We're, we're, we're trying to explain everything. And then we make the, the creature creation fallacy. We don't make a distinction. And we, and we then assume that the creation must have, that the physical world must have bootstrapped itself right. into existence, abiogenesis. These are all errors related to that framework extreme. The, the medievals, I think also made errors in their framework yeah. in um, over-spiritualizing certain things or um, just speculating in many ways. And so a lot of these categories, they have been discussed in, in yeah. history. We're going to talk about this in some future episodes, Lord willing. I think we'll do a whole episode on, and, on fairies. Yeah, fairies, hobgoblins. Yeah. Which these kind of be a catch-all. elemental right. um, spiritual crossover sort of beings that a lot of people in in the Christian tradition have believed in mm-hmm. and categorized in various ways, and how could we think of them? I think a lot of those p- thinkers would have classed what we're talking about in a category somewhere on the hierarchy. Yeah. I think that's safe to say. Yeah. And whether or not I'm with them on that, I, right. I, yeah. I, you know, whatever, but they would have, I think. Right. Whether or not they were right and whether or not I agree yeah. is completely mm-hmm. a, a question mark. But the point is, is... They were, here's what they were trying to do, okay? Mm -hmm. They were trying to take dominion in such a way that they were able to categorize and name a thing Mm -hmm. and put it in the symphony of creation. That's what people do. We were made to do that. Yeah. Oftentimes, like, that's the medieval's whole thing Mm -hmm. is they were trying to say, how can we order our perception of the world in such a way that everything is playing a part? Everything is producing some kind of harmony or discord, Mm -hmm. but it's unique to them. And all of it is creating this one element of praise mm-hmm. that at the end of all time will rise up to God and and glorify him, you know, magnanimously. Yeah. That was what they were trying to do. Obviously, they messed up in a lot of ways trying to do that. And sure. I'm not saying they were right to, to have this category even in existence, but it is interesting. And if you start to, like, kind of think in those terms, at least imaginatively, yeah. you can understand how, uh, how tempting it is to take that really far because it is uh, yeah. actually fun. The key distinction, I think, for us is that there are there's what we know, there's what we can uh, search out, and then there are also things that we can't know, where right. we just or we can't or we won't know yet. And when we're making distinctions in those kinds of buckets and saying, you know, like we don't we don't know definitively about some of the specific details of the angelic world or yeah. that realm because we I mean we've already talked about this since the season, but because. God hasn't revealed those things to us, right? Uh, and that's fine. We don't necessarily need to know, but I think it's it is fair to say to think, well, God made people, and there are lots of different types of people and different personalities and different names. And clearly, in the angelic world, there's specific angels with different tasks and names, yeah. and histories, and which means you could write a biography of the angel Michael, yeah, and Gabriel. You yeah. could write their biography. And, and it would be really interesting. And it'd be different and, from and, each other. And we don't know what kind of, is there, are there angel culture? Like what? Right, yeah. Are there different angels? With, and we just don't, we I li- don't. I like to think so. We don't know. <laughs> I like to think so. I like to think so. We don't know, but it's not, I think, you know, sometimes people can can be a little bit gun shy of even thinking about like, that's right. an interesting question. Because the point is, like we, we do operate in a world that's a need to know world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a hierarchical world. So people- that are a certain place only really have the certain information that they need. Man was created to be the rulers of the physical world, the, 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 the pseudo rulers of the physical world to take dominion in the earth, to order it to God's glory, to do all this in faith 
by his power working Vicegerent, yeah. Yeah, none of these heresies, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of that, we have information that we need to accomplish that because God's not capricious. He doesn't give us a task to do mm-hmm. and then give us the inability to do it. Right. He actually gives us the ability to do it. So we have the book of nature that we get to open and read yeah. and learn about this place that we're supposed to be exercising godly dominion in. But the thing is, is that, you know, w- while we aren't supposed to exercise dominion in the in the spiritual world, it can't be denied that the spiritual world never affects the natural world. And so man does at times have little glimpses of, of fragments of paper that he gets to read in, in the book of nature that, has, that have been scribbled on or affected by the book of the spiritual world. And so he has to do something with that information. Uh, I think that it's foolish to ignore it. And I think it's foolish to ask people to ignore it. We also interact with and wage spiritual war. Right. And so the thing, ultimately, we have to have a category for, I don't know, how do I try to make a connection? Or should I even? How do I try to categorize? Or should I even? But all the while remembering that your heart and mind are closed on the word of God. Mm -hmm. And and to go beyond that is folly. Yeah, absolutely, Ben. So I hope that these stories, guys, have painted a picture for you of just the reality that this phenomenon, um, if it's real, and and I think that there's something to it, that it might not just be hallucin, you know, the hallucinations of crazy crackpots, or, uh, but also not just a merely biological and animal phenomena. There really is a question: What if Bigfoot is a spiritual entity? What if even he's an evil spiritual entity? And, and I think the closing story tonight that we're going to leave you with now might begin to cast some more light on that question. So we're going to tell you the story. It was posted on the blog, Tiger Lily Harvest. This author, uh, is, it says that I believe she yep, right, is a Christian. She. And uh, this is a doozy. It sure so is. buckle up. We don't know the author's real name, so we're just going to call her Lily. But she, like many other people in our day, are very intrigued by the idea of Bigfoot. After some months of research, she decided that she would start writing about the whole thing, sharing her thoughts on the matter with subscribers to her blog. She figured it would be a fun way to join in solving the great mystery that has plagued man for all of these years. But she had an ace in the hole. She had a friend whose dad was a legitimate Bigfoot hunter. We are going to call him Jacob. He seriously used to go on frequent trips in an attempt to research and interact with Bigfoot. That was his thing. Lily figured him for the perfect resource. She would talk to him, get some of the spookier stories that he had. And so she shared this idea with her friend, Jacob's son, and the reaction was unexpected. He had seen stuff too, according to him, and she figured he would be excited to maybe share his own misadventures with the creature. He wasn't. He was hesitant. He was even reluctant to share. The following is quoted from the Tiger Lily Harvest blog post, Bigfoot, A Demon of the Ages. My father started joining all these Bigfoot groups, and it began as a small side hobby that he grew to love. He would travel all over the country with these groups of cryptid hunters, mystics, Sasquatch believers, etc. We would all poke fun at him, but he started to take it really seriously. He started to have these encounters, these stories that he was shy to tell, but when he would tell them, you'd be dumbstruck by how much belief he had in his eyes. I never knew my father to be a liar. I trusted him and I still do. So one day I went with him. My father and I lived in the Northeast and we traveled up and over to Washington State, very close to the Canadian border. We camped 
In my head, I was thinking this is just a cool camping trip with my dad and we can bond and I can get a glimpse into his world. It ended up being more than that, much more. My father told me that to see a Bigfoot, you had to camp under the stars with no tent, no fire, and no electronics. So that's exactly what we did. We had our cots under the stars out in the middle of the forest, just us and the anxious feeling growing inside my chest. Dad never seemed nervous or scared, so I knew if he had seen them, they weren't to be feared, but I still felt on edge. Even without the event of a Bigfoot sighting, I was thinking of bears, wolves, mountain lions. He said that the minute we put the campfire out, we would start to hear things, feel things, maybe even see things. My heart raced, and he was right. The fire goes out, and we immediately hear the sound of running feet. Smaller feet, like children playing a game of tag, bipedal. It's pitch black, and you can't even see your own hand in front of your face. The moon was hidden by clouds. The stars barely peeked through. I'm tucked into a sleeping bag, and I feel something run up and touch my side. I'm frozen. I still hear the sound of smaller feet, and then I hear something much bigger. The heaviest steps I've ever heard. One heavy step, then another. Closer and closer. Closer. I feel the presence of a large body standing before me. I can see nothing but a dark, massive outline. Then something happened. The smaller bodies came close like they were its children. One of them stepped on me. I couldn't breathe. It walked across me and it did this two more times. The steps went over to my father's cot and eventually trailed off out of our camp. We could hear the family of footsteps leave. I laid completely still, unable to move, and the next morning I knew what we'd experienced was real and something I never wanted to experience again. Haunted by this chilling first interview with his son, Lily still wanted to talk to Jacob, the source of allegedly much more intense accounts. Her mindset going into this conversation had now changed, though. Maybe this isn't as fun as she thought it would be. Lily's friend was still carrying the weight of fear given to him by that experience, even though it had been years since it happened. Nonetheless, she would press forward. We'll continue quoting from the blog post by Tiger Lily Harvest Bigfoot, a demon of the ages, and we'll close the show with this quotation. Thank you for listening to Haunted Cosmos. Stay curious, keep a ready sword, and remember, do not go looking for trouble. We'll see you next time. I'm going to tell you two stories that he told me. One is of his many encounters with Bigfoot up in Oregon, and the other is the encounter that still haunts him to this day and the reason why he left it all for good. Although if you ask him today, he will say that they're just waiting for him to return. They wait for their invitation back into his life, patiently, watchfully. There's a large group of career Bigfooters up in Oregon, and I hadn't been there yet, but I knew the community was strong, and I'd be in with a solid group that knew their way around. The leader of the group had been doing this for 20 years, and he took a liking to me. I'll never forget what he said right before we set up camp. You know, Jacob, if you really want to see Bigfoot, all you have to do is invite the spirit in. Red flags started going off in my mind. Invite the spirit in? Didn't sit well with me. I had seen Bigfoot many times already because if they know you're looking, they'd love to reveal themselves. Maybe he was right. Maybe I was inviting them in. I thought about this our entire hike up the mountain. We made camp just below the snow line. It rained for two days and two nights, and on the third day, I decided to invite the spirit in. Although this began to grieve my heart, it was too late because the fire had gone out at camp and my cot was under the stars. I was away from the group close to the old gravel road that loggers would use. It was dark and cold. 
I lay there for a few hours, and as I was about to drift off to sleep, I heard it. The steps. Heavy. Crunching the gravel. With each step, you could almost feel the earth vibrate. It got to the edge of my cot and stood over me. But I didn't get the sense it wanted to hurt me. My face was covered by the sleeping bag, but the group told me to never try and startle them, but to always remain still with no sudden movements. So I was a corpse. I could hear it breathing, long and steady breaths, heavy like its feet. The next part might not make sense, but the being scanned me. It scanned my right shoulder down to my elbow, and I can't describe the sensation. I just knew the being was looking at this part of my body through the sleeping bag, and something was happening. The being slowly walked across the road, and I started hearing voices in a language I've never heard. It was speaking to other beings. They were talking back and forth. It came back over to my cot for a few seconds and then walked back up the road and disappeared. It was only two hours from sunrise, and I woke up and hurried closer to the camp. While I was walking, I noticed something. My right shoulder that normally held a constant dull ache no longer hurt. The ache was gone. I told the leader what happened, and he didn't seem surprised at all, but said, they know you now. You'll never have to search for them again because they will find you. They'll come to you wherever you are. Again, I felt red flags. I was confused because had the being healed my shoulder? I was too shocked to even consider what it was that I was dealing with, but I almost needed to see them again. The obsession grew. We packed up camp and started heading down the mountain. What happens next might sound odd and paranormal, if you will. The leader and I had trailed behind the group to where they were out of sight, but we could hear the distant voices. All of a sudden, and I know this sounds crazy, but we saw this orb of light. It was round, white and bluish, 20 feet up into a tree. They both saw it and it was bright. I looked over and said, are you seeing this? Again, this was no surprise to the man at all, for he spoke in a hushed voice saying, it's an orb. Those are spiritual beings that have not manifested in earthly form yet. I have one that follows me around all the time. It won't hurt you. My mind was tired. My eyes were heavy. We got closer to the tree and right in front of us were footprints. Not from the group because they weren't boot prints, but they were large bare feet prints with five toes, bipedal. I'm sitting in my chair, still listening to Jacob tell me all this. I have a million questions. In his voice, you'd think that he would have an excited tone, but his tone was always one filled with remorse and even disdain. If the being healed your shoulder, do you think that it's truly evil? I asked. I'm sure the snake giving Eve an apple seemed like a nice gesture at the time. He just wanted to give her knowledge after all, harmless. Jacob replied, I asked myself the same thing. Now looking back on it, I believe this is how they deceive you. If they do this miraculous gesture, they know you'll always come back and always be dependent on them. What man would believe he needs God in his heart after that? I looked down at my bare arms and they were covered in goosebumps. This final encounter that Jacob tells me about is one I'll never forget. I'm even hesitant to share, but I believe it could help those who are on the same path as me. Curiosity begins innocently, but our enemy is always waiting to devour. After the Oregon trip, I went back home to the Northeast. We lived tucked away in the woods. I kept thinking about the leader of the group telling me that I didn't need to look for them anymore because they would find me. I had half the right mind to never go searching again, but I told myself, I would try one last time in the comfort of my own backyard, and then I would back off. My flesh didn't want me to back off. It was fighting me. I went out back where our shed stood in the far left corner of the yard. I hid my cot behind it so it would be out of sight for my wife because I knew she'd make fun of me. I stood there looking at it on the ground in broad daylight, and I said out loud, I'll be here tonight. 
I'll be right here. I thought if I said it out loud, they might know, but I felt ridiculous. At that moment, my cell phone rang in my pocket and it was my son. He asked me if I wanted to go to this church event with the grandkids, and I hadn't seen them in a few weeks, so I said, of course. I went to the event and spent time with my family and ended up being out later than expected. By the time I got home, I was so tired and just craving a good night's rest in my own bed, so I did just that and said I'd go out to the cot tomorrow. In the early morning, my wife woke up and went to the shower. The second the water turned on, I heard the metal ladders in the shed all clang to the ground. I shot up in the bed, hands trembling. It felt as if they were trying to tell me something, like, where are you? I sat there in bed and turned the lamp on. I knew they were out there. I sat in bed and asked a question out loud that I regret. I asked the being his name. It answered. It answered through mind speak, where it pushes its thoughts into my mind, clear as day, more vivid than spoken words. Aki. The second it told me its name, I knew that I had to close the door on this. It could push thoughts into my head. I felt sick. Jacob went on to tell me that in the five years of his absence from their world, he can feel them waiting for him. He knows that all it would take is him giving a simple invitation. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them.